The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect those of management and sponsors. So, don't get crazy, all right? Bienvenidos to the party that hits all the right spots, fun entertainment, and the perfect amount of naughty from the sexiest place on earth, Miami, Florida. It's J Rod and the Boss Lady. And we are high atop and deep inside world headquarters of J Rod and the Boss Lady, and this week's threesome. To quote the the fatherly, scholarly figure of Miami, Tony Montana, we say hello to the bad guy. It's David Sampson. What's going on, my friend? <laughs> That's the intro? You That's say threesome and bad guy? I thought you were going to talk about Stephen Baldwin, Josh Charles, and Lara Flynn Boyle. That's where I thought you were going. Oh, no, no. Come on. <laughs> Listen. Listen, you're still on probation in Miami, okay? This is, we're in South Florida. This is not Broward. This isn't Jupiter. This is, this is Miami. This is Cayocho. So you're still in probation here. I, you know, I saw the other day I went to the post office. What was I doing at the post office? And I saw your face there. So, you know. Oh, come on now. <laughs> Hold on. I have another call coming in. Hold on. No, I, I promised I wouldn't do this show. I know. And he's being terrible already. Do you want me to stop? Do you need me? Oh, I keep going for a minute. One more minute. All right, Coca. See ya. Coca. Call me, and I'll be like, "Oh, you know my beeper." Now we all know David, friend of the show. He's been on our show many times. Uh, you know, 18 years in Major League Baseball running team. He helped run the Expos as the, as the executive vice president. Was president of the Marlins uh, for a long time, 2002 through 17. He's got a ring with that championship team. And now you've come to the dark side. You're on the media side. You have your own podcast, your own show, CBS Sports HQ called Nothing Personal with David Sampson. How's that going? It's been amazing. It's, uh, it started in October and uh, I've been so pleasantly surprised with the reception. And also I've gotten such respect for people who do what you guys do. It's hard. I do a show every day, Monday through Friday, 45 minutes, just me, no guests, no callers. Every once in a while, I started doing Samson sit-down where I have guests, where we'll do a 45-minute conversation as a bonus, or I'll do a mailbag bonus episode that drops to answer fans' questions. But let me tell you, it's hard, and I work, it's about six hours of work for a 45-minute show, and it's like doing a 45-minute speech, like a John Oliver-type speech, every single day and there's no studio audience so I really have no idea if what I'm doing is resonating I don't know if I'm going too long so I have no faces to look at I only have coca my producer in my ear which frankly is not the way I want to go through life so that's how it goes <laughs> oh well this is nothing now JR and I used to have three hours daily from 9 to 12 midnight so we're, we're good at, we're good at this one this is this is vacation here <laughs> It's tiring, guys. By Friday, I am tired. There's no question about it. Oh, we know. <laughs> Since we're in quarantine, you know, I'm, I haven't worn pants in three months. So this is, this is, at least this shot is good for me, flattering for me. All right, before we get to anything, explain to me this magnificent beard you've got going on here. I mean, pirates are afraid of that beard, Mr. Sampson. Well, I started when I saw that baseball was going to be postponed and remember at first they said we're postponing this season two weeks right they said at least two weeks but we knew it was going to be much longer than that I said I'm, I want to do something for charity because this is going to impact people we don't even understand the economic impact that coronavirus is going to have 
and I have a unique, after 18 years, I know all the seasonal workers, the game day workers, the bartenders who work in bars around ballparks, the people, the porters in the team hotels who get tipped by the players and the traveling secretary every time a team comes through, and that's in the hundreds and hundreds of dollars. So this was going to have an impact. So I said, I'm going to start something called the ML Beard Challenge, which is I'm not going to shave until there's opening day of Major League Baseball, whenever that is. And as part of it, for the first 100 days of the challenge, I said that I would give away $1,000 a day to different organizations benefiting those who have been impacted by COVID-19. So I went through all the major league cities and gave to team foundations who are in a great position to give money to seasonal workers and did other organizations. And on Monday, Mar- I don't wait, we're in June now. So it must have been Monday, June 1st. By the way, I've lost all track of dates, days of the week, and months of the year. On Monday, after the murder of Floyd, I and, and and the demonstrations and protests that were going on, I actually adjusted. And the last 23 of the 100 days, I'm going to be giving $1,000 away to organizations that fight for justice and fight against racial inequality and systemic racism. And it is, uh, it's not to say that people aren't hurt by COVID. I'm not saying that's over, but I just felt so drawn to try to make a difference and not be silent and not just stand by. And, and, and so that is the ML beer challenge. There's a charitable component. There's a hairy component. It's, it's both exhilarating and sad to try to make a difference in this life and knowing that uh, you can't do it alone. So I ask people to give what they can even if it's tipping your, your mailman extra or your delivery people who are delivering food or at the grocery store, leaving a little extra money for the cash, the cashiers, anything anyone can do. Yeah. We're, we're big on anything local here. I mean, obviously we're in South Florida, we're in Miami, but you know, obviously all our viewers, we just shop local in your community. Try that for, for at least a month. You know, and that, that's going to help out a lot of people. So, you know, again, you get, you get a lot of crap, David, and, and, you're, and you're a good sport about it and you own and you own it. But I appreciate what you do, man, because, again, a lot of people would just, you know, sit on the ivory tower and, and disappear. You're, you're, you're at least trying to make a difference. And that's got to be something you can appreciate. Thank you. So let's get down to some some stuff. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you are like what I love about you is that you, you can you can wear both hats. You were the executive you know, watching the bottom line, and now you're in the media. So, so the first thing I want to touch on is Drew Brees. And I'm not getting into the politics because he was a dope for saying it. But I'm not going to get into the politics, but he was a dope. When you're an executive and you have a player, not just a player, face of the franchise player, guy on the media guy, and he poops the bed like that, what do you do as an executive, as the boss? Do you start making phone calls? Do you start what, – what do we do? So – that's a great question. And the one episode, one this week or last week of, of nothing, right after he said it of nothing personal, I went into an entire segment about the problem with Drew Brees and that the Saints have. And it's a big one. Anytime a player does something wrong, we have two choices. One is it's a release. Do you just release the player? And what I used to say when I ran a team is we're gonna treat every player the same. We're gonna be consistent. In reality, the way we operated, if you were really good, you had more area to 
be wrong than if you were only okay or if you were not even marginal. So if you are on the 40-man roster and you get a DUI or some sort of domestic violence or something bad or a bad political tweet or something, I would go right to release. If you're on the 25-man roster and contributing and part of a long-term contract where you're outperforming your contract, I'm going to meet with you and try to find a way to move forward with you. If you're on a long-term contract and you're not doing well, I'm going to try to void that contract by saying you violated so I can get out of paying it. So I, I, it would be disingenuous for me to say that I treated everyone consistently because it's just not true. While I would say it was because you want to believe that and you want your fans to believe it. But in the real world, that's not how it works. Drew Brees is in a position. <laughs> it's nothing personal. It's just business. Drew Brees is the, he's on the Mount Rushmore of the New Orleans Saints. He is, he is the New Orleans Saints. Is he reflective of ownership query and some of the issues ownership has had politically? That's a very interesting question that is probably not for today. But once this happened and his first apology came out, I would have spoken to him prior to the first apology, never would have allowed that first apology to happen because we would have crafted a message with him and his agent that we would have had him release immediately upon learning what he said on Yoohoo. Yoohoo. That's not the word. That's the drink. Yahoo. Yahoo. <laughs> God, am I a boomer? Oh my God. Oh, I can't even believe it. I just said, we, I just said, listen to the interview on you. <laughs> Wilson, we are just thirsty. He just wants some chocolate milk. <laughs> Wilson over there is giving you a side eye. By the way, Wilson, I don't know if, if this is an audio or video podcast, but I can only tell you that I have Wilson with me at all times. He's my best friend. He and I go through all issues together. Anytime I have something wrong with the show or something I need to work through, Wilson and I work through it and take care of it. So he, in return, wants to be on every show, which is why he's with me on the chair. I'm starting, I'm starting to really pick up on the Tom Hanks castaway beard with Wilson here too. So I had Wilson before I had this beard, but it is not lost on me that I'm turning into Tom Hanks from a quarantine standpoint, from an eating standpoint, from a weight standpoint, from a Wilson standpoint, other than my show, which is normally me talking to myself, or I pretend I'm talking to Wilson. It is a pleasure to be with you guys and to see faces and to interact. It's making me feel happy. So I appreciate it. So with Drew Brees, I would have crafted an apology after seeing what would happen is I wouldn't have seen the Yahoo uh, interview. People from PR would have gotten it to me immediately because that's their job is to look out for these sort of landmines. I'd get a call, much like I got a call in the middle of a Passover Seder that uh, Ozzie Guillen had praised Fidel Castro. Yeah. So you get up from your table, you get up from whatever you're doing, which is what I would do with the Saints. You go immediately to the agent Immediately, the order is this. You get your GM on the phone because you never talk to an agent or a player alone when you're dealing with an issue like this. So you conference in your GM, you then call the agent, you then call the player, and you make sure you have a four-way phone call and you say, okay, what are we doing now? The next thing is you've got to apologize and recognize that what you did did not play right. Here's how we're doing the apology. Here's how we're releasing the apology. Here's the words that will be in the apology. But guess what? None of that happened, which is why Drew Brees had to do a second apology, apologizing for the first apology. But don't you think that's a little bit hypocritical? Because basically you're only apologizing because the sky opened up and you got flooded with the shit, right? It's not genuine. So what's the point of these apologies? 
Well, that, that's the whole point is that we would make the first one genuine. And if Drew Brees would not agree to that because of his political beliefs or other beliefs, we would then not involve him in our own statement apologizing because when you have a situation like what just happened, it's bigger than a player, even the Mount Rushmore player. This is not a, a minor infraction. This is a changing turning point in a history of the world. It could be. We're hoping it is. And if it is, you don't want to be on the wrong side of this at all. So as an organization, we would not distance ourselves from Drew because he's too good, but we would distance ourselves and distinguish what he said from who he is. David Sampson joining us here. CBS Sports HQ, YouTube. It's called Nothing Personal with David Sampson. That's his daily video audio podcast. Now, the NFL, I've never seen this – is, this is the quintessential good-looking, gorgeous young girl. That's what the NFL is. No matter what they do, they come out of it, well, I mean, you know, I mean, look at those eyes. Who can say no to those blue eyes? They put out a statement after all, after all this not, after these terrible incidences with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, basically saying, this is terrible. We're going to work harder. We're going to empower our players. Hello, Colin Kaepernick was doing this years ago. Did, aren't they just saying Kaepernick was right and we've just been, we, I mean, it's, it's so hypocritical. Well, their statement didn't say any of that. That's the problem. And that's what led to the players putting out that video, which they put out, that 71-second video. And I spent quite a bit of time addressing this issue as well because Roger Goodell has a problem. He has to deal with the fact this video exists and the fact that his own statement was not proper or good enough. And they're discussing it and figuring out how to deal with it. And they will deal with it. And they'll have to deal with it. They will change to start with. So one of the things that I would tell you is that if, not if, I use the word incorrectly, grammatically, when players kneel during the anthem, mm -hmm. it will not be in violation of an NFL rule this season. I can promise you that. I mean, again, I've always said, listen, if we, if we respected each other as much as we're told to respect the flag, a piece of cloth, we respected each other as much as we respected the flag, things would be a lot easier, man. Things would be a lot easier. So you live, you still live in South Florida, you know, obviously with your time for the Marlins, your time here in South Florida, do you still get grief over this? Can you still go to the store? Can you, do you, can, or do you have minions do that stuff for you? Well, I have not yet found a way to get Wilson to shop for me, but believe me, if quarantine continues, we may find a way. So the answer is this throughout my career in Miami, I found that most people exhibited what I called cyber courage, where they would email me or they would tweet at me or they would do things in writing or leave voicemails back in the day. And when they would meet me at a restaurant or at a store or at a movie or on a run, they would be much more apt to ask for a photo or an autograph than to tell me that I'm the single worst person who ever lived. So I never really had that sort of issue. Are there on occasion times when people will say something or look at me strangely or mutter something? Yeah, but I'll disarm them every time because I don't shy away. I'll engage. Hi, I'm David. Nice to meet you. We've never met. 
talk to me. Tell me how I can explain to you what was going on in my mind. And I want to hear from you what's going on in your mind. And it turns out that 99% of the people are interested in talking and engaging and in listening and in learning and in just being heard. And I've always been willing to let people criticize me. I've never been above it because I never believe anything good that anyone says about me because that enables me to never believe anything bad that anyone says about me because I've never wanted to be on one side of that. I don't think that's fair. So I just don't believe anything that anyone says. So I don't find it. I still live in Florida because it's my home and I I love every day of it. But people are recognizing me more now, way over and nothing personal because the Marlins, you know, it's, it's, it's already, it's been a couple years. So, so since you bring that, that bring all of that up, I have a question. I grew up a block away from the Orange Bowl, which is now the Marlins Park, right? So do you feel any remorse or do you feel, what was your thought, you know, on the fact that you guys were a catalyst on the fact that we lost permanently the Orange Bowl and then it's the Marlins Park now. So do you, what were you guys thinking? Do you feel bad? Because, you know, the people from Miami got stuck with this stadium and we lost a historical stadium. Yeah, I guess I would say this to you. I had nothing to do with the Orange Bowl being demolished. The way it worked when we were looking for a stadium is we said to the city of Miami and the county of Miami-Dade and to the Broward, the county of Broward, and to the county of Palm Beach, tell us where the land is and let's make a deal. We're open for business. We need a public-private partnership. We don't want the Marlins to leave South Florida. If there's no new ballpark, they'll leave. What you may not realize is the city of Miami had to spend so much money just to keep the certificate of occupancy for the Orange Bowl that they were losing money on that property because it was so dilapidated and so old. They were demolishing it under any scenario. There was no scenario, even though they went public with it a few times and said, oh, we're going to pass a new tax and we are going to refurbish the whole Orange Bowl. We're going to rebuild it, et cetera. It was never going to happen. It was never going to happen. The Hurricanes didn't want to play there. It, nobody wanted to play there. It was, they, there was no money to build a new facility just for college football. Miami wasn't going to participate in the way that they needed to and the way the city needed them to. So we were approached and said, well, you're not going to get land next to the AAA, which is what John Henry wanted. You're not going to get design district, which is what we offered John Henry. And he said no, and that's now been developed. Broward said, not going to happen. There's no public money going into a baseball stadium here. Palm Beach said, we do spring training. That's it. Miami said, well, if you would make a deal with us, the site of the Orange Bowl is where Marlins Park, it wasn't called Marlins Park at that time. It was called Marlins Stadium. A new stadium for the Marlins is what it was referred to in documents. That's where a stadium can be. So I take a little issue with you saying that I was the catalyst in, in the de- demolishing of the Orange Bowl. That ship sailed long ago. I saw you there. I never let the facts get in the way of a good story. <laughs> well, I mean, I think in general, the, Mar- the Marlins team coming in to the Marlins Park was the catalyst, right, of getting rid of the stadium. Right, whether it's the city of Miami doing all types of whatever 
politicians get involved with, but it's for the Marlins that that park was built, right? So that's why I'm saying the Marlins being the catalyst. Right. For and, their and listen, we can we can bicker over word choice. I would tell you this: that if there had been no Marlins Park at the Orange Bowl site, the only thing I know for sure is that Derek Jeter would not be the owner of the Miami Marlins because there wouldn't be a Miami Marlins. Major League Baseball would not have allowed it. We had no lease. What also people seem to forget, and I carry around the document with me wherever I go, Steve Ross was kicking us out of Dolphin Stadium. He did not want us there, period. Our lease was done. We got an extension through 2011 as a basically a negotiated gift where we got our ass handed to us in that negotiation because we had no place to play and we couldn't play in Jupiter, which is where I wanted to play because baseball wouldn't allow it. So we had to play in pro player the extra year when there was a year delay because the Norman Bremen lawsuit, we wanted to get the stadium opened in 11 and it ended up opening in 12. But anyway, to make a long story short, we had no place to play. And baseball has a rule that if you're as a franchisee, which is what all 30 teams are of Major League Baseball, you're a franchisee, a franchise. If you do not have a Major League facility to play your home games in located in your home territory, we have the right to take your franchise away. We needed a ballpark somewhere. And that's why we went looking at different cities to get leverage with Miami or to have a backup plan just in case we needed one. What I've always, I know you got to go. I've always appreciated whether you like them or not, you show your face, you do your things. And that is something that at least there's that respect level, at least from me and from this show. And you're always welcome here. And I appreciate it. And I'm happy that you've had all your success. And thank you for letting us bust your chops a little bit because you bust them right back. And, and, and Oh, listen, I love you guys. And, and these are great questions. I'm not upset. I hope you don't think I'm upset in the least. Oh, I, I want you. to just help. I would hope. I would hope that that doesn't make somebody upset. We no. can't be that sensitive in life. Only nipples can be that sensitive. <laughs> I mean, you are right. You know about sensitive nipples. By the way, I really know when it's time to shut up. And so this is the time while I now ponder everybody's sensitive nipples. <laughs> That's David Sampson. He hosts Nothing Personal with David Sampson every day of the week. It's on CBS Sports HQ. It's on YouTube. Where else can we find you, David? That's it. Just go Nothing Personal on Apple. Anywhere you get your podcast, subscribe, download, and you can watch it on the YouTube channel, Nothing Personal. It's fun. We have fun every week. And just to come all the way around and button it up, where can we help with ML Beard? So this is the best part about the ML Beard Challenge. Whatever you do, just tell me that you're double tipping your cashier or your Amazon delivery guy or that you donated $19 to, a, to your favorite team's foundation to be used to help people who have really been hurt by, by COVID-19 or to look for some organization. Today we did a, sponsor, a scholarship program to get uh, uh, kids uh, jobs uh, yesterday, we did uh, $1,000 to Campaign Zero, which is an organization that is trying to understand how to cure and fix and legislate away police brutality. Uh, we did the NAACP the day before that. There's so many great organizations. And just just keep learning and, and let's all keep doing better. I'm, I'm going to donate to the to the Derek Jeter Hall of Fame Fund because I know the broke <laughs> has got no money to take him up there. So. <laughs> 
they got an extra year. But anyway, but I digress. David Sampson, thanks, man. Enjoy and keep kicking ass, my brother. Take Thank care, you. guys. Have a good day. You too. Thanks. Thanks for listening to J-Rod and the Boss Lady. Always ass-slapping good.